Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers. It is not often that I get to interview guests that I have never actually met before or spoken to before. And in many ways, the guests I interview really come to me through my own network of speakers and authors and mentors and people within my circle. But when Aurora's story crossed my desk, I knew I wanted to have her on the show. In her life now, I want to tell you a little bit about her first. In her life now, She is a writer, a poet, a speaker, a certified trauma yoga instructor. I want to know tons more about that. And a therapeutic horseback riding instructor. But her passion is language in all of its forms, however that comes to her, as well as self-expression, compassion, and creative advocacy. And what makes that creative advocacy, that's the big one, so special and so powerful is that Aurora credits creativity for saving her. A survivor of familial trafficking, assault, and domestic violence, forced to resurrect her own life through creative therapeutic expression, Aurora now helps others find their own creative languages through laughter, tears, and play. And I heard she has a book as well, which we'll talk about. Welcome, 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 Aurora Winters to the show. Hi, thank you, Anna. Happy to be here. (laughs) So happy to have you. Like I said, I I am so interested always to sort of play the objective role of audience member right now and get to sort of moderate this conversation with you as somebody who has absolutely no idea where the conversation is going to go, which is kind of fun for me. So I hope not too nerve wracking for you. Um, But I am always, of course, so intrigued and fascinated to see how the experiences in all of our lives really bring us to what we know um, and then secondarily to what we maybe potentially end up even doing with our work as well, how we give back, how we serve through the power of our own voice and stories. So I'd love for you to share with me and with the listeners, since we're kind of one in the same today, share with us a bit more about your past and your personal story. Who is Aurora Winters? Well, thank you for asking and sharing, and I, too, am excited to see where it goes. Um, So I grew up in a very small Midwest town, and I'm a survivor of human trafficking, uh, familial sex trafficking, and it uh, looks a lot different than what you see on the movies. In fact, it took me quite a bit of therapy to honestly realize what I had grown up in. Um, Cause I would identify as an incest survivor, things like that. But to put the actual label on it, 
was kind of terrifying. Um, But it was also such a relief to see, like, how it unfolded. I was finding just, like, all this proof of what my childhood had been by going through some old boxes I got my hands on and going through EMDR. That has been a huge part of my healing journey. I've been in EMDR for three and a half years. And one day I was explaining a memory that I'd been having flashbacks about for a few months to my therapist. I finally took it into her and I said, it sounds like ritual abuse, kind of, but then, and then I was like, but I really feel like it sounds like human trafficking. And it's so weird to say that. And she's like, yeah, that's what it sounds like. (laughs) And I'm only laughing because I think she must have been like waiting for me to get there. So... Okay, so let's just, for the listeners who, I've talked about EMDR before, but EMDR is, I, I'm going to get this wrong, eye movement desensitization. Did I get yeah, that? reprocessing. Reprocessing. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a treatment that, you know, various therapists and more and more I'm seeing use for trauma. So yeah. you're presenting, obviously I'm hearing, you're presenting in the office knowing that there's been trauma in your backstory, mm-hmm. but did you not recognize what had happened or had you actually repressed those memories? I'd been dissociating from my memories. So there is a high level dissociation for people who have been through a lot of trauma or even one-time trauma events. You can cut off from it and you can forget about it or you can have lingering parts of the memory, but not the whole memory. And that's kind of what my life had been. I remember when I was 10 years old, I was out at the hose in our backyard and I just had this thought hit me like, it's so weird that a lot of my friends tell me stories about their childhood and I don't remember most of mine. And I thought that was strange because I was only 10 and I thought I ought to remember more about my childhood over the years. So that was kind of my first clue going through therapy is I remembered that moment in my past where... I had had that thought. A lot of trauma survivors have different experiences. For me, mine was suppression and repression, and I dealt with it by dissociating and being busy and an overachiever. So I never really had the signs that people watched for in childhood. Okay. So I'm just, I'm struck by so many things that you're saying here. Yeah. Uh, the first is, is just just massive compassion. But the second is I'm, I'm so intrigued when you said I was 10 years old, when I realized that I had no memories of my childhood and my heart just stopped thinking, and yet you were still a child. I had memories, but it was mainly school. Right. Um, so at that time, I, I thought it was strange that, you know, I couldn't remember when I was four and what happened at home a lot. I moved out at 20, but I would go home occasionally on breaks from college and stuff like that. And I was always like this, it'll be better this time, you know, like I will help everyone and everything will be fine. Because I still was in that, I I didn't really see what my childhood had been still. I didn't see how toxic it had been. I just knew that I'd grown up in a situation where like the marriage was always crumbling you know there's always problems 
But I think I thought a lot of things were normal and I still had a lot of things repressed. So by the time I hit 2013, I think I was about 25. I'm 33 now. So if I'm bad on the math, I apologize. <laughs> um, but that's when I started having flashbacks a lot and writing poetry. And my poetry was coming out in just like the form free form and it was all just these memories coming up and it was as they were coming up a lot of times and so it was frightening because again i had painted this picture of my life like that i was a successful straight a student with lots of friends and hobbies and so to really see all this stuff on the page in front of me that i had been repressing and disconnected from was re-traumatizing so I knew I had to get into therapy and it took me a while to find someone due to finances and my situation but I've been in therapy since 2014 most of the time I've had several different therapists because I do I did like to move around in my 20s um, and because I didn't have like a sense of stability there were times that I had to move <laughs> um, yeah so I've been in and out of therapy, uh, but consistently in it, um, pretty much weekly since Christmas of 2014. Wow. Wow. I am just, I'm almost speechless thinking about the, just the, all of those years that you spent just being in the mm -hmm. world and not really understanding a lot of maybe why you were showing up in certain ways, maybe even why you were moving around so much. So for the listeners and even for myself as well, I'm, I'm super curious because I kind of, I was Googling this before we started mm -hmm. the interview and I was thinking, I don't know that I even understand what the term familial trafficking means yeah. at its core. So of course we know what trafficking is and mm -hmm. I can put some pieces together, but can you explain a little bit about what that was, what that experience actually was mm -hmm. for you? On my uh, one side, I had a great, great uncle who moved into the family through marriage. And my apologies, I'm a little discombobulated. Um, okay. So he married into the family. And he is the one that I believe it really started with. Um, I found out that he had victimized my grandma. He was an entrepreneur in the city that we lived in. He was also part of um, a couple elite groups. He was very rich um, and he would take me places with other kids. Uh, so with my parents, I found, you know, records of payments uh, that he would give to them starting after six months of me being born. Um, and he bought them their house. So there's a lot of stuff that leads to that. So. Trafficking, people usually know it as taking, you know, people and selling them. So basically, he was paying my parents for me. Um, I was also victimized by my parents. I am still dealing with some of these memories. I have dealt a lot with more of the abuse from directly from my parents. Uh, but the memories I've always had, I even had written in a journal in 2012 before I really started having memories come up about how oh this must be where my uncle took me with the other kids and then I moved on to something in my journal like oh and today I had for dinner <laughs> this chicken or whatever it was that's how far removed I was it's like I had the memories but I was 
so detached from most of it and had forgotten a lot of it. But in familial trafficking, you know, a lot of my family was involved. So one of my baby photos has my parents holding me and my grandparents and my uncle. So there are five people in that picture who I was victimized by in some way. Wow. Wow. Uh, and both sides were involved. My parents, uh, their families knew each other from from a church they all went to together. Right. So this sounds like it was built into the culture of that community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've had to figure this all out on my own because nobody will really talk fully with me and some of the people that will aren't entirely trustworthy. Um, the outliers of the family that people say, oh, so-and-so, you know, that aunt, she's crazy. I'm like, that's the aunt I want to talk to, <laughs> you know, so why, why did you quit talking to them? So I've gotten to have some confirmation in different things, but it took, you know, finding boxes of my great-great-uncle who, you know, I have the memories of being taken places with um, to really kind of put some of this together and driving by places and letting the memories come up and these are things that i've done you know unrelated to the work i'm doing in therapy i'm I'm almost always a few months ahead on stuff i'm working on at home or that's coming up as opposed to a, a target that we're targeting an emdr wow wow um the word that comes to mind immediately is just bravery to even be facing this at all and to be self-managing your own therapy to be choosing this work and to be choosing to express yourself in any way. I mean, some of it is just our bodies, I think, want to spit it up and out, mm -hmm. but there's so much of it. That's a conscious decision on your part. In fact, I think I read somewhere too, that you actually have a psychology degree. I do. Yeah. Uh, my bachelor's. So your bachelor's in psychology. So you quite literally took up human behavior and the human mind as like part of your education to work through this. D did you know at the time, I'm curious because of the sort of this blend of repressed memories, but also kind of conscious exploration. Did you know at the time that you started your education program that you were exploring yourself in some way? No, <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe my soul, right. Did. And I always, was that kind of person who wanted to be able to express myself in some way and understand, but I was so other focused. I was wanting to help people. And my first time ever in therapy was as a student at my college. And I went in and they said, why are you here? And I just said, well, I figured I better know what it's like to be on this side before I'm on your side. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, I love that. So. I love that. I love that. You, <laughs> you mentioned, and this is, uh, I mean, in fact, I'm going to go here first before yeah. I dive into your work a little bit, because I mentioned the word compassion earlier, mm -hmm. and that was sort of just a gut reaction to, as you're speaking, I'm like, I just immediately felt this word come up in my throat. I had to say, I just have such compassion for you as a 10 year old or you at any age, frankly, mm -hmm. having to relive this experience. I can't imagine being you in many ways, but I can't imagine being you kind of moving through this and trying to find a relationship with compassion or a relationship to compassion. Can I ask you, what is your relationship with that word or with compassion in general for 
other human beings at this point in your life after being a victim of such horrors? Um, I have a healthy relationship with compassion now. I am a human, right? And <laughs> so there's days where I obviously struggle. And with the trauma I lived through, there are a couple days at a time or even a couple weeks where I can, you know, forget to be as compassionate as I deserve and need. Um, but when I was first really introduced to the idea of having self-compassion, I really revolted at that. And my mentor at the time said, can you have compassion for not having compassion for yourself? And that made me feel like a huge release. I'm like, okay, so I don't have to have this pressure to like perform and be nice to myself and be compassionate and all this stuff because I didn't even understand it. And now I really preach about compassion is really a place of neutrality, I feel. And it doesn't mean being removed for me. It means just having that space to sit and be and allow myself to be messy. I'm not always going to feel like I love myself or life is wonderful. <laughs> and I'm going to complain and I'm going to vent. And so it's that coming back to myself and that hey, you know what? You're having a hard time. Go for it. Find someone who doesn't mind listening to you complain for a minute. You know, um, that place of meeting myself where I am and being realistic about how life does throw crises our way. And I don't think that Instagram and Facebook and online really introduces us to hardcore compassion because hardcore compassion means you know, I've chosen not to do the dishes for, you know, the whole week <laughs> and so that I can get sleep and play with my dogs and do other things like that feed my soul and cleaning the house takes time and energy. And sometimes I only have so much energy in my bank um, and I'm not going to share pictures of my unwashed dishes all the time on social media, you know? <laughs> yep, I hear ya. <laughs> so... I don't know if that helps, but I just, it does actually, it, do, it really does. And it gives me some context as well for, because as I'm thinking about this, this word compassion, and as I sort of asked that question, I was thinking compassion outward. And I love, love where you reframe that and said, no, this is really my relationship with compassion is really about having compassion for myself. And that feels like, mm -hmm having to a step out of comparisonitis online. Yeah. I mean, that's one way that we can look at it. And it's so true too, is just saying, you know what, today is just not the day for me mm -hmm. to show up and try and beat the Instagram algorithm. Today mm -hmm. is just not that day because today is for my health. It's for my mental health. It's for me being able to rest and therapize instead of, you know, who knows what show off my dishes, <laughs> even, yeah. though, even though I like <laughs> other people's dishes, because then I feel more normal, but right. Uh, I, I share it in my stories. You, if you follow me sometime, you will see that. <laughs> I, I am following you. I've requested that you oh, have, good. you have this beautiful private account, which I envy this, this privacy. Oh. So you'll have to approve me. And I will. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> you'll, you'll see it when you, when you check in next, the next Perfect. thing I kind of wanted to go to here is I really want to talk about creative advocacy with you okay. because it's obviously it comes up in your bio. It comes up on your website. We, we see these words, creative advocacy. 
And I am a huge advocate for creativity and creative expression as well. I think it's our core nature and but for our creativity, we really aren't necessarily in our full expression anyway as self, but specifically yeah. when it comes to healing and finding ways to actually heal through trauma, there is no shortage of studies, frankly, if you're a science-minded person, to show how therapeutic creativity and creative expression can be to really get into that hobby mindset. But talk to me about how it showed up for you and maybe specifically how it helped you. So creativity is so interesting for me. I always said, oh, I'm not creative at all growing up. I was, you know, very logistical. I did what was asked of me and then I did what I felt like doing, but that was typically cleaning. <laughs> so now that I am older, when I first started having all my memories come up, uh, I started writing poetry out of nowhere and literally out of nowhere because I actually had a hatred of poetry. <laughs> I did not understand it. It made no sense to me when we were assigned that in school. I would bulk at it and I did not enjoy it. So I was had a conscious relationship with writing every day at the time and then I just started pouring out poetry like and I could not stop and so my mentor at the time just said follow it keep following your curiosity and I had heard that through college and so I did and I went to the library and found a group that did poetry slams and poetry open mic nights and I started going and I would read barefoot because it was so much to put myself out there and I really needed to feel my feet on the ground <laughs> while I read out loud. Um, over time, I started, I walked away from the church. Um, it just, it was not finding the support I needed there. And I had a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. And so I started going to places like chakra dance classes. I went to meditations, Reiki, um, just all kinds of things that I'd heard, this is wrong, it's a sin, or this isn't good for you, because I was actually finding people who they just wanted to be them, their best selves. And I still have, you know, connections with the church and friends who go, you know, who are Christians, and I've found a really stable relationship on where I'm at and, you know, what I need for my self-belief and the way I operate in the world, but I needed to explore everything because I needed to know who I was outside of all this pain. And I think it was in the midst of, you know, dancing and energy work and hiking barefoot, doing yoga in the snow. <laughs> I mean, all these things that I did on my own that I really healed and I was going to therapy, but it was those silent moments alone, just exploring what I wanted and who I was. So I, you know, I found it harder as I was getting more into therapy because it was expensive and I didn't have, you know, a great job at the time. So I found it harder to keep exploring things. So I would keep the cardboard boxes that I got and would cut them in pieces and I would get paints at like the Dollar Tree and start painting. <laughs> and that's still something I'm not quite sure I'm a painter, but <laughs> it was an outlet. You're a painter. If you painted, you're a painter. For yeah, sure. like it was an outlet, you know, and, and it's not like something I was putting up for, you know, schoolwork. I was like, wow, that looks really good, you know, for my expression of how I felt when I was 11. <laughs> oh, um, I love so, I love this. 
so these are just ways that I did that. And it's something I had to cultivate on my own because I didn't have anyone saying like, hey, you're doing the right thing, really. Um, my mentor was someone I'd met in college in California. So she was, you know, miles and miles away. And at that point, the relationship was becoming something that I needed to uh, step away from to find an in-person therapist. Um, and then a lot of my friends didn't know what was going on because I just didn't have the heart to talk about it. Um, so it took time, but I mean, I have still remained highly creative and I love, you know, talking to my friends. I've been really open over the years and people will message me or text message me or call me and be like, can you help me find a therapist? <laughs> um, and then, you know, if people are like, I'm not creative, I'm like, okay, what, what do you wish that you could do, you know, and then quit leaving your labeling yourself, not creative. Like you don't, you don't have to be, you know, amazing like Beyonce is on stage or, you know, we can hang out in our closets and draw with a paper and pencil and it doesn't have to be shared, but we need an outlet. So it's something I really want to offer to other people because I just never thought I was creative. And it's, something now that my friends will come to me like and be like, do you have an idea about this? I have one who's a model and she will ask about, hey, do you have any ideas that I could set up for fun photo shoots with people? And I send her like six ideas out of nowhere. And it's so fun. <laughs> I love this. Oh, Aurora, I love this so much. And what is striking me as you're talking here in just the, the most beautiful way is that first of all, and I wrote it down as you said it, the words were in those silent moments alone. That's where you found your healing. And I think this is such a profound message right now because the state of the world that we live in is all about being out there all the time, that there's some degree or marker of success by being available to the public 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're mm -hmm. either online or showcasing your story or sharing your dirty dishes or all of these things. Mm -hmm. And for some people, I think there is creativity in the content development and in that expression of themselves. But as you're saying, it's like, there was no one, you said, no one telling you how to heal. There was no one there telling you how to heal. And somehow your body, your mind, your soul, your heart, your spirit said, healing is creation. Healing is through creativity. And you were called to physically move your body in some way, snowshoeing, but also to move your hands and paint or take to drawing or try something creative. And the fact that that came from a place that was unguided by society's expectations, by somebody's actual mentorship or guidance, either a parent or otherwise, even a teacher, the fact that that came from within I think is an incredibly, incredibly powerful message for people to just go into those silent moments alone and ask yourself if you're healing or even if you're not healing, mm -hmm. what is it that my body or my mind or my soul is calling me to do in this moment? And not what is it calling for me to put online, but for what is it calling for me to do in order to feel better? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Okay. So creative advocacy. So when you define creativity, cause you've got horseback riding in here, you've got all kinds of got painting from the dollar store. You've got everything. <laughs> How do you define creative expression? How would Aurora define that? Honestly, I think every moment of our lives is creative expression to put that more simply understood in being intentional 
I believe that something that you're called to, that is where you need to go. And if you don't have the resources to be there at that moment, say pottery, that can be expensive, you know, buying Play-Doh at the store. (laughs) So I might be getting off track. I apologize. I'm just no, gosh, you're totally <laughs> on track. I love that. Um, just find something, some way to find something. And I think that our perspective of creativity is is wrong. Honestly, we think that you have to sing or be an artist. You know, you know, a painter or. But I find some of my friends are most creative when they're at their jobs as a physical therapist. Um, I find that this guy I grew up with, he is a phenomenal uh, computer programmer. I mean, that's creativity. The way you decorate your home, the way you clean. I mean, start paying attention to your own process. We put on podcasts and, you know, run around the house and clean it fast as we can. But is there something about that method that is relaxing to you? Is there something about the movements you're making that is repetitive but natural and perhaps even healing i mean we just we pay attention to all the big stuff when it's all the little moments in between one place to the next that are part of our creation and we're creating our lives every moment wow i that is so 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 big i made a note here like (laughs) is there something in that moment I think you said or is there something oh method is there something in this method that's relaxing to you like paying attention there and just turning your awareness to not what am I doing but why am I doing this our bodies naturally move in ways that they need to when we're not overthinking it yeah and for a long time I would walk around with my hands and fists and I didn't quite understand and I would just notice it and I was carrying anger around. I needed I needed to walk around with my hands and fists while I was at work because it was relaxing to me. It wasn't like I was like looking like I was gonna punch anyone. It was just like I'd walk around, my hands kind of in a ball and <laughs> at my side now and then. And it was how I was kind of releasing some of that stress. And I mean, that's probably why they created the stress ball. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was, it's just little things like that, like paying attention to the certain things that your body's doing. Um, and sometimes, you know, the healing comes in consciously doing the opposite because your body's asking you to see like, hey, this is not fun. I keep doing this cycle of movement and it's not helping. What can we do to counteract that? So. Wow. Okay. I hear a lot of this, this kind of I mean, obviously you're a certified trauma yoga instructor, but I can feel that. Is this what you do with your clients and your patients? Do you walk them through or work through the body in this way? And particularly maybe with the yoga. Yeah. So with yoga, I bring a lot of uh, just basic somatic practices. um, Ones that I truly believe helped me save my own life. Just sitting feeling your bottom on the chair or on the floor and breathe normal and notice. So you just repeat that. And then while you're walking through the day, you feel your feet in your shoes and breathe and notice. And you just really feel like, what does that feel like in my shoes? And you can do that in the grocery line. 
but I'll bring that into my yoga classes or into my one-on-ones and just encourage, you know, every, almost every other pose, feel your feet on the floor, feel the four corners of your feet, lift your toes, or there's another practice. Um, so a lot of the continuing ed I've done for my yoga instructor certification is somatic workshops. So something um, Peter Levin talks about in somatic experiencing is you can pat your body and you just kind of pat your arm and you're saying, this is my arm. It belongs to my body. And so I'll have people do that. I'm doing it now. <laughs> I'll have people do that in classes. And a lot of times I'll start with the legs, you know, so we'll do the left leg and we'll pat it just gently up and down. And then you feel it tingling, you feel the sensations. And I'll just ask them to notice the difference between that leg and the other leg. And then now let's invite the other leg into this practice. And so those are so simple that you can do that in your car before you go into work. I really like to give people skills that they can take outside of the yoga room, outside of, you know, talking to me or um, things that they can build that relationship with their body and they can start to build relationships with their emotions in healthier ways. Yeah. I love this. I, I do something kind of similar. I don't do the, the tapping, but I do something that I call, where's my body? Where's my mind? Oh, that's immediately cool. I go, if I'm, my mind is running amok and I'm thinking about things, I have anxious thoughts or worries that kind of head off in the wrong direction, wrong in quotation marks. I say, where's my body? And my body is right here. I'm on the couch. I'm next to my dog I'm with my child. And then I go, where's my mind? I'm like my mind is in the future and, or it's in the past. And it is acting as a time traveler when my body cannot. So it needs to kind of come back to this moment and realign. And that seems like a really similar process to me. It's like just realigning the mind with the body in that space, which then opens us up to the next level, this doorway to more of that expansive consciousness is being able to reach the higher levels of our creativity and our soul and our expression and becoming aware of what's really calling to us versus what the, the mind is trying to unravel us from or, Absolutely. or unravel for us in many ways or trying to distract us from, I think you said earlier too. So you also do therapeutic horseback riding, which is fascinating to me. I did some, I uh, went back to school a few years ago and went back and did psychology as well. And one of the courses I took at that time, uh, was with a therapeutic horseback riding instructor. Now she was a university professor. Um, but I remember her, she, I think she was teaching child psychology at that point. I think might've been the course, but in any case, um, we talked a lot about therapeutic horseback riding, which I didn't know much about up until I had met her. And now I am just fascinated by it. I've always thought of horses as very grounding and kind of spiritual creatures anyway, but tell me about that work. It sounds fascinating. It is amazing. And due to the pandemic, I haven't been in a barn in a couple of years for that. Um, but I will be starting to take my own lessons just for fun soon. Oh, <laughs> just for fun. Yeah, I have one lined up for a couple of weeks from now. But so for therapeutic horseback riding, um, I went through Path International, which uh, is, you know, they send you through training and 
you go get tested and then you can work at Path Barns or any other barn, you know, um, so long as you carry the certification and continue in your education. Um, but that's what I had gone through. And we worked with all ages. Um, we worked with people living with physical, emotional, um, psychological, you know, issues. And I worked a lot with teenage boys um, who were living with ADD or, um, you know, had oppositional defiance disorder, I believe is the name. Um, so I would work with setting up plans on, you know, facilitating a relationship with a horse, also appropriate riding skills. And um, I worked with their families and then we would get uh, their IEPs, I believe, at the barn is, the, yeah. is what they're called. Yes. Um, yeah. So we'd work with the school system, too, on setting up goals. Um, and so I loved it. I love I love it so much. And I want to get back to it at some point in the next you know, year would be ideal. But basically, you know, I would ha help like my students have self agency. So what really helped them want to be involved is putting them in charge of teaching like warm up sessions. <laughs> and then, you know, that helped their confidence in building their writing skills. Because um, then they were taking turns for a few minutes every lesson, like teaching each other, and they would give really valuable feedback. And I loved it. I'd even let them like occasionally teach me. Because <laughs> they were wow. always teaching me anyways. But with the body work and, you know, the trauma work, I found that just the relationship with the horse naturally in a safe space, like a guided, like physically safe space, did most of the magic on its own. And then, you know, the hardship honestly came with the relationship with the instructors or the volunteers, because a lot of our kids would come in from, you know, foster homes or broken situations. And so there was that, it was always so much easier for them to trust the horse. Um, you know, you give them a helmet and you give them the proper education on how to be around a horse. And most kids are just so thrilled to be around a horse. Now we did work with people who would get scared and that was always fascinating to be able to watch over the weeks, how you would progress in giving them more responsibilities. but. I feel like I don't even, I'm not even describing this right because just watching it is the magic. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know what I, what I, I took from it there, sorry, I just cut you off, but no, what, I, yeah. what I took from this and what I'm taking from this is in all of what you've described, the thing that really stood out to me was these are in some cases, maybe not all cases, but these are children who have learned in some way that the people around them in their life might not be safe mm -hmm. or the adults are not to be trusted, which is heartbreaking. Yes. And also then where the magic comes, where you see that the horse can be trusted mm -hmm. and that feels, I mean, potentially I'm making a leap here, but was that the case for you as well is having this family situation where you couldn't really trust it sounds like the adults and the community that was around you even maybe the church community did you find that solace and that trust in just the animal relationship I think it's so I powerful. did yeah I grew up with horses so 
fabulous. This, this is really personal to me. And I mean, one of my most valuable um, healing moments going through my own training to become an instructor was when my, my, um, the person who trained me, she, she said, please, you know, close your eyes, feel the horse, feel their gait, and then let your body do what it knows to do because you're a trained rider. Just do what you know to do. And I trusted this horse and this person so much. So I closed my eyes and it was just like everything fell into place. And you, I, everything moved the way it was supposed to. <laughs> um, and then I did that, you know, after working with some students for a good six months, you know, I built a rapport with them. They felt comfortable with me and they had horses they trusted. We had volunteers. It was a normal every Saturday class. And so I had them put blindfolds on and um, do some trotting blindfolded. Well, of course, their volunteers had them. But watching the way they quit overthinking while they were posting at a trot, which is, um, you know, a writing technique for people who write English sometimes. Um, but watching the way that they felt in alignment with that. But when they took the blindfolds off, that's where they were like, oh my gosh, you know, they just integrated this biology of trust and experiencing that with their horse. And they could take that feeling into other situations. Wow. And I, huh, I just had like goosebumps thinking <laughs> if you can kind of take it into relationship with yourself mm -hmm. yes. as well. And there's something so organic, I think is the word that's coming up for me. There's something so authentic and organic about you as an, as yourself, you as an expression of your own healing journey is finding even the way you describe this. It's like, you're just getting into alignment with the energy of the horse, or you're getting into alignment with the energy of your own heart and soul. That's calling to you to creativity. And yeah. I'm so deeply curious as someone who's kind of invested in the world of psych and mm -hmm. how humans show up. When I listen to your life story, I hear a story of somebody who almost had no choice in a way. Like I had, I had nobody, I had nobody that I could fall onto. I had to kind of fall into my own energy. Yes. And yet I work with a lot of people and I'm sure you do too in the work that you do, who do have people in their life that they can still trust. They do have people, they haven't really necessarily been through a trafficking situation. I mean, that's a really unique example, but um, I'm wondering how do we have that conversation? How do we open that dialogue with people who haven't sort of been forced into alignment with self through survival to really start noticing the healing properties of what that can feel like and how to really tune into yourself? Like, I'm just, this is probably the most rambling abstract question of all, but yeah, you're fine. Yeah, it just so, feels, it feels really profound what you're sharing as, as a teachable here. And I think that more people yeah. take advantage, even if potentially they're not in a situation where there is trauma around them or that they've had trauma happen to them, I think would be more accurate. I mean, I, I love that question because there's, um, I mean, first, there's just so much, in a sense, stigma on, you know, having grown up in a broken home 
or grown up in a situation with that much abuse, you know, people are like, well, I can't relate to that. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, have you had like a really bad day and a really bad situation or ever been taken advantage of? Just, you know, you can multiply that feeling circumstantially, but like we're all humans and we literally have like this similar limbic system in our brain on feeling. So, you know, watch a movie and you can relate to that. And it's, it's like, I hope that people don't have that. And I want people to come, you know, to come to me, to come to each other with that invitation of just exploring creativity, just to explore creativity, not, not having, you know, been forced into, you know, that self-alignment. So I love this question. Um, I just think we're all far more relatable than we think we are. Um, I'm always careful about like, yes, I've been through intense trauma, but, you know, please don't measure it. Um, yes, maybe some things were more complicated, but, but please know that like your value in the world and the way you show up is just as, just as valuable. So I feel like just inviting people to the conversation of like, you have equivalent right to self-discover. <laughs> um, and honestly, I would love for people to take that journey before trauma hits because most of us don't escape life without having trauma hit in some form. And I really, I think the element of what I'm going for in, you know, the business that I'm building right now around creative advocacy is fun. And I mean, who does not want to have fun? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if that's helpful, you know, in that, but I just think inviting everyone to explore their perspectives and where they're at in their life, because we all have a right to be creative. And I've, I've watched people put themselves down because they haven't been through trauma. And I'm like, my gosh, I, I'm sure you've been through something traumatic. You're just maybe minimizing too, you know? And even if you haven't, like, that's beautiful. Like if I have a child someday, I fully plan on having that child raised as resilient as I am just by being well loved. <laughs> And so I would love for people to see that they have a right to totally change up their lives or just invite trauma in or not trauma. I'm sorry. Creativity as, you know, a new expression in a hobby after work. So I'm I just think having conversations about creativity in general and what is creative and how everything you do is technically creative and then exploring your perspectives on it is really just having the conversations is how to start it. Yeah, I love that. And I kind of love that you slipped and said invite trauma in, which is so <laughs> profound almost in a way, because that's literally what you had to do is to go back through these memories and invite it into your life and then meet it and mm -hmm. be in conversation with it as much as we don't want to be in conversation right. with our trauma um, yeah. and finding ways to move through it. I think, uh, and the way that you actually answered my rambling abstract question that had no footing anywhere, okay. um, it was just brilliant. And I'm so glad I sort of asked it in the most art inarticulate way possible because how you shape that out, I just learned so much from you just in that last couple of minutes around just our right to play and our right to have fun and to be creative as an individual, despite what your life story might've brought forth for you. I find that just fascinating. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to talk about today with you as well 
because I, and I love this, like, there's just no limits on your creativity here where it's like, we just do anything and everything that really calls to you for either fun or play. Yeah. Cause that's your right. Mm-hmm. Also to serve and to help others as well. So you have this business, of course, working mm-hmm. in the landscape of creative advocacy. Mm-hmm. You'll have all of your handles, of course, in the show notes, but the website for anyone who wants to know more about Aurora is www.aurora-winters.com. Again, that will be in the show notes or on Instagram. You'll have to follow, request to follow, like oh, yeah. I wait in line <laughs> behind me at Aurora underscore, underscore winters. Um, but before I let you go, um, there's a couple of things that I like to do on the podcast. The first is talk about any big projects, one of which is your book. And then second, I love to wrap with what I call my secrets are out segment, which is just some kind of rapid fire stuff that we get to have a little fun and play with as well. So let's talk about your book first though. So you have a photo and poetry book project. The book was, you know, a project that I had a photographer work on with me and I had photo shoots planned from, um, trauma memories and made them into, you know, reclamation photo shoots. Um, So we did, I think it was five or six photo shoots. And then I had a series of poems that I had been writing from the time um, everything came up in 2013 until I put the book out, some of the poems I wrote specifically for the book. So I would say my poetry has even changed since I put the book out. Mm -hmm. However, it was a culmination of seven years of poetry and about two years of photo shoots that we planned together with a makeup artist. Uh, They are both amazing. And um, I could not have made those photo shoots happen as creatively without them. (laughs) Uh, So I was originally going to put it out in print, but with everything and the pandemic, uh, we had the graphic designers had to dissolve their business. So it will be out in print. However, it is on Kindle on Amazon. And a lot of the poems relate to experiences that I dealt with directly regarding my mom, my relationship with my mom. That has been one of the ones I've spent the most time working through. Uh, So it's very personal. There are some poems in there regarding other memories and other people, but uh, most of the poetry is just like reclaiming, like, I'm sacred, I deserve joy, or, you know, all this, like, just reclaiming every part of myself that I can. And I really want anyone who reads it to just find that self-reclamation for their own stories, whatever's happening in their lives. And I have an intro in there that talks about, you know, taking care of yourself while reading the book and finding your own method of a healing project of some sorts. This never really felt like a project besides trying to figure out how to (laughs) self-publish logistically. Um, But the creative outlet was so healing and getting to partner with my photographer, um, capturing ideas to reality. She came up with a milk bath idea and I was like no that sounds kind of weird (laughs) I don't want to take a bath in milk for photos (laughs) and she's like I've seen some photos let me show you and they were really cool so I'm like okay we'll give it a chance and that's the cover of the book now um so I loved collaborating because I would have never 
gotten out of my own comfort zone um, to further heal and find like this amazing cover for the book. The whole thing was just like a fun celebration of memories that were horrible, you know? So I took these memories and we turned them into art and something beautiful. And it's just like, you know, they can't overpower me anymore. And I've found a way to find my way through. I had to move through it. You know, I, I couldn't just bypass it. And so making something out of things that used to bring me to my knees and make me feel frozen and paralyzed and like I could not, you know, manage my life. Um, I just found a lot of healing in the project. Yeah, I bet. I love that. We took these memories and just made them into art. How beautiful mm -hmm. is that, Aurora? So beautiful. Um, how is your relationship with your mom now? You mentioned it's strained. I would imagine I can only- I'm no contact with my family. Right. Um, yeah, so they are both abusive. Um, I'm no contact. I actually filed a report on my on my mother in 2018, and I was on another podcast um, about that. So- I think when you've been through the level of violence I've been through, it gets pretty easy to be like, yeah, if I ever have kids, they're not going to be around. You are an absolutely brave and profound, wonderful human being from what I can see. Well, uh, you're let's, so kind. <laughs> let's do <laughs> Let's do a little secrets are out here because okay. I want to sort of end on some more playful, creative notes with you. The first okay. question that comes to mind is, if you right now in this moment, I know you're tucked into a closet recording with me, which is <laughs> the best place to get that good sound. If you are literally coming through this podcast, finish recording today, you've got your dogs running around. What would be the first thing that calls to you? What's the most creative thing that you could do today? Honestly, make a good dinner. I <laughs> oh, love that. And you should see how the kitchen explodes because I am creative. So <laughs> I'm like, and then we'll have a little of this and a little of that. And I've used all the silverware just to make dinner. So I have to wash some. <laughs> I love that. I need a nice big dinner today. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, food is so nourishing. I don't know if you were looking for something profound. <laughs> no, that is profound. I mean, this is, this is, I think, what I'm loving about you so much is that this creativity <laughs> exists anywhere and everywhere. And you've given us so many examples. It's like even cooking can be creative, which it is in many. I have thrown bananas in with like uh, onions and spinach and like raisins in the oven for like a roasted salad before. Oh my. It was actually good. <laughs> well, I can't say I'm going to try it, but I will. I, it's not for everybody, but I did like it. <laughs> It's not, but that's the thing about creativity, right? It's yeah. not, for everybody. <laughs> not for everybody, but, um, okay. So my next question is where, uh, what's next for Aurora? What is next for you on this creative journey? You said you're opening your business, of course, but what do you envision as like that ideal scenario where you get to live in your purpose? Oh my goodness. I, I'm just so excited to open my business. What I really want to do is, you know, initially I'm going to be guiding my clients through, you know, somatics and writing and, but I really want to be witness to their forms of creativity. And so I'll be offering online and in person, but like if somebody has been a computer programmer their whole life, but they want to play the guitar and they 
like I want to hear it like you can have your practice sessions with me <laughs> like I mean I don't know guitar but you know what I mean like people sometimes need a witness and that support and I want to be with people on the front lines of their discovery and facilitating resources and collaborating and networking um with other creatives you know for things that I you know I don't have the skills maybe for but I can introduce them to other people and that I love networking and I love it so much I love collaborating I'm just not into that competition thing I think we all have so much to offer so it's like if I end up with a client who has an interest totally out of my wheelhouse but we want to work together through certain perspectives and they need introduced to things, I would really love to do group um, creative advocacy sessions as well and um, include food. I'm a big foodie, so I actually know a girl who's a personal chef and I probably ought to reach out to her before the podcast comes out that I have plans <laughs> for us. <laughs> yes, see, there you go. Just shout it out and see what happens. Yeah, okay. yeah but I mean, that is that is truly what I feel like is calling me i mean i want to write still i really feel like overall that's a huge calling for me but i love people so much so getting to work with people while they're working through like you know here's a frustration that like well i'm not creative and i'll just be like like well you're standing right in front of me in your creation so you are <laughs> yes you're standing right in front of me and therefore you are yeah. creation and also creative on a final note if you could leave our listeners today based on your personal life story and all of the wisdom that you've gained through your healing, if you could leave them with just one thing, one sentence, one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't limit yourself. Ooh. Yeah. You are ever-changing. Um, it's okay if your entire belief system switch several times in your life you're growing you're discovering and don't put barriers on that wow that is the perfect way to close out this edit of our show aurora i am so glad that we entered into conversation today i'm so glad that you are here i am so thrilled to be able to share you with the audience and the listeners and my followers, and really anybody out there who is, whether you're healing or not healing, or think you're healing and don't know whether you're healing and have had trauma, or maybe you don't know if you've had trauma or you haven't had trauma, it doesn't matter if you are a human being living and breathing in creation at all to really just start living a more creative life and get in touch with Aurora. Maybe she has a collaboration up her sleeve for you as well. Thank you again for being a part of our show today. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. It was an honor. I love, I love your podcast. So thank you. Thank you for joining this edit of the Unapologetic Stories podcast. If you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story, connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training, storytelling, and strategizing your way through this one big life. If you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new 
speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth.